Pennsylvania has a long tradition of manufacturing centers. They called them ironworks, places where people came together to build things. This podcast is about building and sustaining our democracy. We call it Democracy Works. Hello, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris B. And from the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State, this is Democracy Works. Chris, today we're uh, going to talk about one of the most uh, basic uh, requirements of a citizen, but one of the most privilege uh, privilege of a citizen in uh, in a democracy, and that's the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, elections require rules; they require administration. Uh, there is a mechanics behind voting, and uh, we're going to get into some of that today because it's important with Kathy Bookvar, the senior advisor to the governor on on election modernization. Kathy's with the uh, Pennsylvania Department of State. The thing about elections that uh, people, I guess, know intuitively, but maybe don't think about very much, is that we don't have national elections in this country, Mm -hmm. uh, even though we're electing voting people for national office for the federal government. Rather, we have elections that are run by the states, administered by the states, often through their counties. Right. And the, and the states can basically, I mean, there's a wide latitude with respect to how they uh, carry out that function. Right. Voting in two different states can be two very different experiences. You know, in some states, you can walk up the day of an election mm-hmm. and register. Mm-hmm. And then cast your ballot on right. some device or another. And uh, in another state, for example, our own in Pennsylvania, you've got to be registered a month in advance. Right. And uh, and then you might use an entirely different set of uh, of uh, voting methods. And in some states, voting you you, uh, you vote at your kitchen table whenever you want, and then you mail it in. And in some states, like Pennsylvania, that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. So what's interesting, I think, uh, about. Uh, this feature of America about about what, what what's interesting I think about American elections is that because they are the uh, the power to control an election to run an election is given essentially to the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, the electoral rules are all wrapped up in the partisan politics of, of states, and in an age of polarized parties, you've got a kind of polarized a, part- a polarized partisan environment for voting. The takeaway here is that. Um, while this argument it should be to vote and how much we have to um, inhibit uh, voting in order to make sure that every vote is, a, is an honest and legitimate one um, is framed in these very high-minded democratic terms, the fact is that both Republicans and Democrats are being driven largely bipartisan objectives. That's right. Yeah. And, and that will lead them to uh, differently weight the priorities. Right. So these are the issues that states have to have to deal with. And, and what's, I think, really puts off people a lot about American democracy right now, and in part because we're in such a polarized time, is that these rules themselves become part of politics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, after the 2010 elections, uh, when Republicans took over a lot of state legislatures and governors, they made a lot of changes. Right. And we're going to hear today from somebody in the governor's office. And we now have a, a, a Democratic government in Pennsylvania. They want to make some changes. And, and when parties, since parties control elections uh, through their control of state legislative office and the state governor's office, they're obviously going to have their own their own interests in mind. Right. Too. And in an equally uh, divided electorate, uh, the difference of a few thousand votes can can make or break a, um, a campaign, can decide an election. 
All right, well, so we've talked well beyond what we yeah, should. Yeah, so let's bring so Kathy, let's bring in, in, Kathy and, Jenna. and Jenna. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today on Democracy Works. Thank you so much for having me. So we are going to, to talk about a couple of things today, um, Governor Wolf's 21st century voting reform plan, and um, I think more broadly than that, the idea of election modernization and election, uh, electoral integrity, um, those kind of higher level topics. And um, I know that your, your title um, specifically is um, special advisor to the governor for election modernization. And I think that that, that term, um, election modernization, can maybe mean different things to, to different people. I'm curious what what you think about when you think of that term. Absolutely. Um, well, I think it does it does mean a lot of things, and um, we have a we have some great opportunities to both um, you know advance access to the polls while also ac- advancing um, our technology and the way that we vote, and so. You know, you may have read one of the main things that we've been working on is um, encouraging the replacement of our now, in many places, 15 years old machines with new machines. And we're going to be moving in that direction. And on the other side, um, we really want to be looking at some great advances in registering people to vote, but making sure that it's done in a way that we there's security as well. Yeah, and I think um, some of those those things you were were just talking about are part of the um, governor's 21st century voting reform plan. Can you talk a little bit about um, how that that plan came about? Well, sure. The governor has been committed to making sure that um, all eligible voters have the opportunity to vote, and you know we know that across the world, um, the United States actually has one of the lowest turnout um, among voters. And there's a lot of things that we could do to help that. And the governor's been committed to um, increasing access, again, for eligible voters. Um, And so developed this plan that's got a lot of different uh, aspects of it, including not just the access to vote, but also the campaign finance reform and redistricting reform. So there's clearly a lot of work to do. I'm happy, happy to be helping on all fronts. Are there elements of the plan that you're kind of prioritizing or, or tackling first? Anything that might um, be able to be implemented between now and November's election? Yeah, you know, I think um, no excuse absentee voting has a has broad support. And, um, you know, there's been a couple bills introduced, but I think we still have work to do. The Department of State has been working with the counties for, um, you know, about a year on some of the points that would uh, need to be changed. So, for example, you know, I think the the part about having a category or not even having a category, just not requiring um, excuses for voting absentee makes sense, right? More than half the states in the country allow that kind of um, flexibility for voters. You know, these days, you know, there's a lot of people commuting long distances. Do you think of, um, you know, there are people who are who are ill but don't want to sign an affidavit saying that they're disabled. Um, there's a lot of good reasons or no reason at all to vote absentee. So I think it's got widespread support. At the same time, we have to be realistic that the the rules that currently govern the um, absentee voting uh, were put into place a long time ago. There, we need to change the mail-in deadlines. Um, we could eliminate some of the requirements for notarization and really streamline the whole process. But I think the deadlines are a key 
um, facet for making it feasible, frankly, for the um, local boards of election. Sure. Yeah, and that, that sounds sounds like a daunting task, and and is is one of the reasons that these these um, things have been this way for so long is just because it's such a massive process to to try to undertake all of this change statewide with you know so many different counties and and municipalities within them. Absolutely. I mean, I think truly this these are all partnerships, and I think you can't make these decisions in a vacuum, right? And so we, and you also, we don't want to make these decisions um, in a piecemeal kind of way. It like it, it they absolutely require broad thought, planning, and looping in the county boards of election, looping in the legislators. You know, there's a lot of good reasons why. Um, you know, the decentralized system that we have here in Pennsylvania is is beautiful, right? It involves lots of different levels working together, but it also involves a little bit more work and making sure that we're working in partnership, which we've really, this administration is very committed to working with the counties and with the legislature to achieve the goals that are best for the voters of Pennsylvania. Right. And do you find that the, the concerns are different in Philadelphia or, or Pittsburgh versus more rural areas of the state? And, and if so, how do you kind of work to put everyone on, on the same page? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I'm going around the, the state working with, meeting with different counties individually. Every county is completely different from the next. And um, and that, so, but but talking about the issues and planning collaboratively is really the best way to achieve this, right? So, are we going to find a one-size-fits-all that everybody is going to be exactly 100% happy with? That that will be tough with 67 counties. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of like any um, any settlement of any any um, issue involves give and take. And I have found the counties to be wonderfully happy to be involved in the process and be having the discussions so that we make sure that they're heard in the process. Right. And so we have uh, listeners uh, of this podcast from from all across the country. Um, are there other states that you look to as as a model, or think you know if we could get to where this or that state is, we we would be in in a pretty good position here in Pennsylvania? Absolutely. I mean, none of these issues that are in the twenty first century plan, or frankly, the replacement of the voting machines, or any of these issues that we're talking about with modernization. All of them have been done in other places. So the great news is we don't need to invent the wheel, right? So I've been having conversations with states around the country, for example, on the voting machine replacement issues to hear where they thought, you know, what they thought their best successes were, where they found their biggest struggles, um, you know, how they structured their funding, how they worked with um, the different levels of government. Um, And it's been incredibly helpful to hear how it's done. Same for these other, the 21st century plan items. You know, the, um, for example, same-day registration, um, I believe um, approximately 17 states plus the District of Columbia have this enacted. Automatic voter registration, 12 plus the District of Columbia, more than half have no excuse absentee voting. So there's a lot of great models that we could learn from. Great. And so thinking about this idea of, of voting machines and, and upgrading those, um, I know that there's a lot of talk out there. I mean, you know, maybe some of it's hype, maybe it's not, about you know, Russia hacking into to voting machines and, and concerns um, about that heading into November. Is that something that's, that's on your mind as you consider these, these plans for the, the voting machines? Absolutely. I mean, what I want to say is that 
what what a lot of people don't realize is how many security measures we already have in place. And it seems like each week we are adding more. So really for the last several, for, for, for decades, there have been many um, physical security process, parts of the process in place that people don't even realize. The test, the elaborate testing that goes into testing each piece of equipment, the security seals, each machine's access points are locked. So there's a lot of things. It, you really, it's actually quite hard to um, do widespread hacking, and there's been no evidence that we've had any of that, any hacking or any, um, you know, vulnerabilities breached in Pennsylvania, which is wonderful. But at the same time, we recognize, A, that the machines are starting to approach their nat- the end of their natural lives, and that itself causes problems, right? So we have to worry about, um, you know, whether operating systems are no longer going to be supported in a couple of years and things like that. Um, and as well, of course, anytime you have all this news of hacking or attempted hacking across the world, we have to worry about that. So we've been increasing, really, month by month, the cybersecurity, um, both measures and partnerships. The other kind of big change that we're looking at going into um, November is, of course, we have a new um, congressional map as well. Can you talk a little bit about um, the the uh, redistricting uh, reform that's part of the the 21st century plan? Sure. Um, yeah. And there's, I mean, there and there there were there have been some great bills introduced in the legislature, um, and you know, I think it's really become so obvious, frankly, all around the country, right? That the that the way it's been done in some places, the drawing of the lines is not the way it was intended, not the way that serves the voters of Pennsylvania or anywhere else. Uh, And it doesn't serve democracy. So, you know, I think the administration strongly supports um, redistricting reform that puts the drawing of the lines in the hands of people who are not directly invested in the process, which, you know, seems like it's so obvious. And yet it's amazing that this is the system that we've had for so long. Um, and the administration also supports um, not having political considerations in the drawing of those lines. You shouldn't be looking at how, you know, the, and, and certainly not having candidates and incumbents and families of candidates and incumbents in the, um, in the process as well. So there's, you know, it's, it, in, in many ways, it feels to me like this is going back to the, the obvious original intent of drawing the lines, which was making sure that communities of interest are in the same district and it's compact and it's nice, you know, squares and <laughs> rectangles um, of people who actually are connected to their community. Sure. And so thinking about the all of the, 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 the kind of elements of, of this plan, um, how do you strike a balance between using technology to help, you know, modernize elections, but while still keeping voter data safe? I think they're, you know, in the, the wake of Facebook and, and Cambridge Analytica, people are, are concerned about their data and who has access to it and, and you know, where it goes and, and things like that. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's, you know, I think this is going to be this is going to be an ongoing um, thing that we have to deal with in every aspect of our lives. Right. Uh, You know, it's it's in our health records. It's in, you know, our voting records. Um, We increase technology and at the same time we have to increase security and we're reminded every day of that. So, you know, I think with voting, it's um, 
you know, and, and election re- records, you know, again, you have to keep in mind that there are multi-levels of checking that go into everything we do. So, for example, um, you know, sometimes you hear about, oh, are we afraid of um, election results being hacked or being compromised? But the truth is we have um, we have we have um, protections in place that require so, for example, in, in Pennsylvania, voting machines are never connected to the Internet or networks in, like, how you, would, how you would think about hacking, right? So um, f- results are actually physically transmitted, physically delivered from the precincts to the counties. And then the counties certify on their official seals the official election results and physically deliver that to the state. So... You, you would never have, like, somebody sending an email with official results. That doesn't happen. Um, you know, and then in terms of other security, like when you talk about the um, advances with, like, same-day voter registration and those kinds of things, you know, you require, just like new voters need to show ID, if people were to have same-day registration, you would have them show ID proving their residency and, and, and eligibility. So there's a lot of, of um, safeguards in place. There's been um, criticism from the uh, state Republicans that this is just a, a, a convenient, um, you know, campaign uh, element for for Governor Wolf. Um, curious what what you you say to to that. You know, I think, like I said before, the governor's been committed to um, you know ensuring the most widespread access for eligible voters for for decades he's been he's that happened long before this year um we at the same time we're realistic at about what can be achieved in 2018 there's you know so i think um it's not like we think the 21st century plan is all going to pass um this year um but it's but it's really important to be starting the conversation about you know Pennsylvania is consistently pretty much in the middle of the states in terms of voter turnout um, in in terms of the percent of voter turnout and considering what a battleground state it is that's surprising because most battleground states um, are have higher turnout than Pennsylvania and battle and and all states that have um, these options for voters that allow flexibility while also protecting the vote like same-day re- voter registration and automatic voter registration, have much higher turnout. Um, so, look, I think I think it's very it's wonderful um, aspirations to make sure that all eligible voters can vote, and we'll continue working towards that goal. How will you measure uh, outcomes, or do you have any kind of um, benchmarks that you're you're looking at um, in terms of the the plan being considered a, a success? Well, I think the voter registration reforms clearly it's going to be about the number of people on the rolls and the number of people who turn out. So I think those are, you know, when you look nationally at the states that have uh, same day voter registration, they they tend to have say anywhere from, I think I've seen 7 to 12 percent higher turnout than other states. I mean, that's that's a large number of people when you think about a, a state the size of Pennsylvania. So I think, and, you know, same for automatic registration, you know, I think you'll, there's some clear um, benchmarks that we could just look at what are the numbers of turnout, you know, and, and the numbers on the rolls before and after. Um, you know, I think campaign finance uh, is it, the the outcomes are um, a little bit different in terms of what it's measuring, but I think it's really about 
allowing people who don't have money to have their voice heard. And so I think the more you reduce the influence of money in um, in politics, the more people have to be creative about actually getting their message across, which I think is a, is a wonderful goal. So I think the governor's support um, for these campaign finance laws will really, really get to making sure that democracy is about hearing the voice of all people and not just corporations and PACs and people with money. Sure. And so um, one of the things we, we talk about a lot on this this podcast is the idea that, that democracy is hard work. It's, you know, people um, coming together to, to kind of build something greater than the, the sum of its parts. Um, and you're, as you said earlier, you're out there meeting with people in all of these counties and, and going to all these places, which um, I'm, I'm sure can feel kind of grinding <laughs> at times. Um, but I'm curious what, what motivates you, what what's kind of your... North Star to as you're you're doing this work. I love that my North Star. <laughs> um, you know, there you never feel like you're more a part of democracy than you do when you're doing voting rights and election administration work. And I see the the conversations with the counties as absolutely part of that process in Pennsylvania. And look, it's a beautiful state, so I also really enjoy getting to see all the different parts of the state. Um, but the people who are working in in voting and elections across the state at every level from poll worker, and by the way, I started as a poll worker, so I really understand what it means to, from the beginning of the day to the counting of the last vote. Um, but from poll workers to county election officials to the State Department of State and the administration and the federal level, the people who are in this are so committed to making sure that every vote cast is counted accurately and that everybody's eligible to vote that can be. And so, you know, it's it's actually been wonderful to see the level of commitment. And people are generally, you know, asking, you know, how can how can we help make this process better for the voters of Pennsylvania? And that's been wonderful. Great. Well, Kathy, um, we're we're going to uh, close today with our uh, Mood of the Nation poll questions. These are all uh, related to American politics specifically. Um, so we'll start off with uh, what makes you angry? People not listening to each other. Very good. And uh, what makes you proud? Successful partnerships um, with people who don't necessarily think that they're always going to be on the same page as each other. Right. And uh, what makes you worry? What makes me worry more than anything else is is the the hate and anger um, that's driving some decisions being made. And then finally, what gives you hope? Young people. Yeah, that's we've we've heard that from just about everyone we've asked that to. So you're you're certainly not a, not alone in thinking that. But no, you you did great at at uh, keeping those tweet worthy. So kudos. All right. Well, Kathy, um, thank you again so much for your time today. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we're back, and uh, we have a lot of stuff to 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 kind of digest there. There's a lot of elements to this plan. And, you know, you know, let's let's put it out there that, you know, this is a, a Democratic governor putting these things forward. And he's not indifferent to the to the uh, to the implications of this in terms of, of Democratic voting results. Democrats prefer uh, 
reforms that make voting easy. Right. And so same-day voter registration makes voting easier. Right. right. And automatic voter registration for all state ID holders makes voting easier. And, in fact, there you're, the default is that you're, you're registered. Right, you don't right, have right. to take it. Now, some on the other side might argue that, well, you should have to really want to vote. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you should have to think about it a, mm-hmm. a month in advance. And you know, I, that's a that's a reasonable position. Mm-hmm. It's not going to expand the electorate, but it's right. it's a reasonable right. position. Uh, he, they're also talking though about uh, removing redistricting from the partisan politics mm-hmm. of the state mm-hmm. altogether. So, what do you think about the idea in general? You know, parties parties exist to find candidates, run them, make sure they win, and then to enact their policy plan. That's that's a you know, in the short as a short answer, that's the role that parties play in a democracy. So you really can't blame parties for trying to create electoral environments and election rules that are going to help them. The you know the problem one might say is why are parties in control anyway? Well, that's my yeah. Well, that's because the that's American federalism. Sure, there are data here that show that uh, uh, states that have this nonpartisan or maybe even more accurately less partisan uh, process lead to um, more. Uh, fairer, more um, uh, representative outcomes? Uh, depending how you define representativeness. Yeah, I yeah. mean, as we've talked about on other podcasts, redistricting is not really a value-neutral of course. kind of process. Right. And you hear I, that coming through with Kathy. Democracy is at its most basic at its most basic about voting. Mm-hmm. And so carrying out elections, administering elections, and, and quite frankly, administering elections in the aftermath of Russian interference in mm-hmm. the election and Russian efforts to get into the uh, voting rolls of the states and potentially even into the machines of the states. Right. Uh, you know, Not a huge amount has been done about that at the federal level, at least not that we hear about, because that would mean acknowledging right. that this happened. Right. So it's falling on the states. Mm-hmm. To really protect themselves. And and let's not understate, you know, how disruptive it would be in the aftermath of an election if it turned out that we discovered that a foreign uh, a foreign country had interfered in the counting of votes mm-hmm. or the roles or who's allowed to vote, anything like that. That'd be bad. Right. I agree. Um, the other thing, other real takeaway I uh, had listening to Kathy is just once again – this notion that um, the people who do this, first of all, it is a thankless job. They, it, no one gives a damn about the equipment until it doesn't work. No one gives a damn about the counting until it's, it's, there's some question about it. But yet these people, many volunteers devote 14 hours every, every election day to making sure that this thing runs, runs smoothly and fairly and accurately. And they are... Um, fundamentally committed to those objectives. They're not out to, to uh, undermine anything. They, they really believe that they're doing something uh, as, a, as a service and, as, uh, and they're, they're serving the democracy in their actions. And, I, you know, we just so, it's just so easy for us to, to denigrate folks. Um, and I just, once again, we're hearing that, and I just thought it was worth bringing up. Yes, appropriate topic for discussion on democracy works. Uh, I, amen, brother. Anyway, um, uh, I, we're bringing this in for a landing. Uh, what, what, you have anything else you wanted to say? No, I was just saying, I'm Michael Berkman. Oh, and I'm Chris Beam. And uh, this has been Democracy Works from the uh, McCourtney Institute for Democracy. Thanks for listening. Thank you.